So, folks, this is Paul Anderson. Paul is uh, a friend of mine, um, graduated from the same seminary I did, uh, Earlham School of Religion in Richmond, Indiana, and has been around Quakers for a long time, former editor of Evangelical Friend, Quaker Religious Thought, uh, and his brain is so much bigger than mine. He uh, is a New Testament scholar, uh, particularly on the Gospel of John, and he has done one thing that I have never been able to do. He has shaken hands with two popes, is that correct? Pope Benedict and Pope Francis. Which one did you like best? Um, they were both really nice. <laughs> Good answer. Um, but what I wanted to do was to have kind of a conversational uh, message this morning, and I told Paul I would keep track on our time here so we have time for open worship, but particularly related to the fact of where I have been preaching out of the last few weeks. I figured if I had been preaching on John, or my message came out of John this morning, I got a guy who probably knows the book in Greek and has studied it extensively. You know, why not get some backup here? Um, But also because of Paul's uh, extensive uh, experience with Quakers and his thinking about Quakers. So I want to tell a couple stories. I'm not going to dominate. Um, you're, You're just not here to make me look good. I want to tell a couple stories, and I want to come to you with a question. And this has to do with where I was reflecting upon this morning as I was in our 9 a.m. worship. The first story is this. Uh, a few weeks ago, some of you know, I went to have uh, an MRI. And so there I was, and I may have told you this, but there I was going into the MRI machine, and the guy is talking me through it. This is what's going to happen. This is how long it's going to take. These are the sounds you're going to hear, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he says, now, you're going to have eight minutes, six minutes, six minutes, eight minutes. You have to be very, very still. I said, very still. Do I have to be quiet? He said, you've got to be very quiet and still. I said, I think I know how to do that. I said, I'm a Quaker minister. He says, oh, really? He says, well, did you drive here? You all got electricity? And, <laughs> and I should have seen that coming. And I said, and his name was Leon. I said, Leon, we got, I've got a car. I've got cable. I've got TV. I've got one wife. You know, I just, I'm, I'm a normal person. But I think I got this stillness thing down. So, it was one of those experiences of what is the perception of Quakers outside of our walls? And what are we not doing faithfully to change that perception in a life-giving, redemptive manner? Hold on to that thought. The second story comes with that and a little bit about the passage this morning. And again, I'm pulling one out of the old files here, but it is Father's Day, and my daughter gave me this years ago. You know the story. We were traveling down to North Carolina about uh, 1994. We had not moved here yet, and she was just a little one in a car seat. And we were taking two days to come down. We had stopped off at Charleston, uh, West Virginia for the night to stay. And we were heading into the mountains, October, beautiful. Everything was just ablaze with color, brightness, sunshine. Lynn and I were so excited. We'd been from Indiana. We'd never seen anything bigger than a speed bump. These were actual mountains. We just could not wait to drive through them. And as we started on the road, literally off the exit ramp onto the highway, Aaron announces from the back seat, I'm hungry, I'm tired, and I am bored. (laughs) And that has forever, besides the fact that it made the trip very long, that has forever made a big difference in how I understood the spiritual journey because I thought, you've got the mountains, you've got the valleys, you've got the color. How can you be hungry and tired and bored? And then I realized this morning we had her strapped into a seat in which she couldn't move, driving for four or five hours. I probably would say the same thing. But it led me to think, 
How often in our spiritual journey do we say the same thing? I'm hungry, I'm tired, and I'm bored. And do we have congregations filled with bored people who are no longer engaged with the message of Jesus? And do we have meetings filled with bored Quakers who we have lost that sense of what it means to be radical, authentic Quaker and this understanding of living the abundant life? And that's where I want to bring you in, Paul, because there's that passage in John 10.10, how I have come to give you life and give it abundantly. You're the one on the book of John. When Jesus says that, what does he mean he wants to give us abundant life and follow up a little bit on what my concern is for Quakers? Well, thank you. Well, it's good to be here with you. And I'm so glad that uh, Scott is preaching on the Gospel of John. Um, That text really spoke to me when I was, you know, growing up. And I thought I would do, you know, ongoing research on the Gospel of John. So I've, I've kind of given my life to understanding the Gospel and epistles and apocalypse of John, as well as other New Testament writings. When Jesus says abundant life, notice that it, it's arising from within. Uh, it's like um, a living fountain, living water. Uh, that's a way of talking about running water, okay, um, back in, in the first century. And so Jesus is talking to the woman at the well in John 4 about um, life-producing water welling up from within. Again, part of the contrast there is as opposed to having to dip a bucket into you know, a stagnant pool, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is like uh, coming from within. Oh, it's, it's independent of the environment. It's independent of your atmosphere, Rather, it is with you, and, and it is coming from within. Um, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, a few chapters later in John 7, um, he's, uh, they're celebrating a festival there in Jerusalem. And so a part of that festival has to do with water and some other things. And, and so, again, he emphasizes that the Holy Spirit will arise from within. So, so one of the connections with abundant life, then, is, is this kind of a query. Uh, how are we doing at abiding in that stream? How are we doing at abiding in the Spirit? Uh, the Holy Spirit is available to all of us, but how do we um, uh, receive that availability? And so I think that just what we've been doing a few minutes ago and what we'll continue to do uh, in a gathered meeting is opening our lives to the Holy Spirit, inviting the Spirit to teach us, to correct us. Notice the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and of righteousness. Okay, So we don't have to accuse ourselves. We can be open to the Holy Spirit's conviction. Nor do we need to prop ourselves up. That We can trust the Holy Spirit to convict of righteousness as well. And so um, the truth sets us free. Uh, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So opening our lives to uh, the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, um, I think that's how um, responding to that fountain of life welling up from within, uh, I think that's one of the things Jesus is talking about there. So if, if I were to ask you, what does it look like for a person to live the abundant life on a daily level? Mm-hmm. What does that person look like? Yeah. What does that look like for us? Um, one of the ways that, that I experience that is just beginning each day in prayer. Um, thank you, God, for the new day. Uh, When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, um, I don't think he's giving them a pattern to memorize, uh, like a quotation, uh, like a right saying. Uh, Maybe he's giving us a pattern. Uh, um, Father in heaven, um, your name is holy. 
so, so beginning each day with praise and adoration. And, you know, if we think about the truth of who God is, how can you do anything but be drawn into praise and adoration for who God is? So seeing the truth about God, seeing the truth about ourselves, you know, leads, again, to conviction. Uh, seeing the truth in the other, uh, we then uh, rehumanize other people. And we see people as God sees them, as God loves them and knows them. So, so I think that, that just beginning the day with praise and thanksgiving and adoration, giving our lives to God again every day, God, this is your day, you know, forethinking and foreseeing everything in the day, but then giving the rest of it to God. It's amazing how the day goes differently. Um, I've kind of laid out uh, a morning pattern of prayer in a book that I wrote called Following Jesus. And so that kind of connects the Lord's Prayer in Matthew and Luke uh, with the abundant life that's in the Gospel of John. And by the way, that was not a shameless plug. I was going to mention the book, Following Jesus. And so uh, we'll send information out about that if folks are interested. Um, So when I mentioned about Quakers, let's tie that in with this abundant life. I guess the two questions I have in your experience, do you see Quakers today living that abundant life? And what does it mean to be Quaker? Well, I think the friends, um, the heart of the, of the friends movement, is to recover the vitality of the early church, primitive Christianity revived. We talked about that in, in the Sunday school hour. Uh, I think that friends also have therefore tried to be followers of Jesus. So if Christ is alive and here in the gathered meeting, then this gathered meeting is a sacramental place. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in your midst. So, Christ is here. Well, how are we doing at tuning in to the present Christ? <laughs> okay. Now, that, that comes to us also through the beautiful music, uh, through the silence, through the spoken word, uh, through the children's ministry, uh, through greeting one another. Uh, it's the sharing of the love of Christ with one another uh, that happens here in the meeting for worship. So um, Quakers, I think, well, and I would say all believers um, uh, experience Christ being present as they gather authentically in his name. I think then that people in the world experience God's presence as we live it in the world. So to, to cite George Fox in his language, let your carriage and being um, speak to the world, speak to that of God in every one. So there's a question for us. How are we doing at being a living sacrament in the world? Or when people come closer to us, do they feel closer to God? Do people have a sense of the divine presence when they look you in the eye and they see God's warmth in your life? Um, You know, you've probably experienced people like that. Um, I might call them saints. (laughs) Um, but people who are really living in a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ, um, it kind of overflows. And it's not that they have to broadcast it. Hi, I'm a Christian from X church or whatever. Or I'm a Quaker. Here's my badge. No. Um, let your life be its badge. Oh, um, as, as, as the Apostle Paul says, you are my letter. You are my letter of authorization. And so, and so what is it like to be... Um, yeah, um, missives from God uh, to be uh, tokens of God's presence in the world. One, one of the reasons um, that I brought up the whole story about hungry, tired, and bored, again, because there has been um, 
my experience, both in my life and when I see it, that sense of where people fall into a kind of hungry and tired, bored journey when I think they're disconnected from that abundant life, that life to the fullest. Um, and I had been wrestling with this quote from uh, an author named Thomas Keady, who uh, talks about what apathy looks like. Because um, I had mentioned in this series the things that rob us of the abundant life, anger, anxiety, addiction. And then the last one, which was going to be today, but I sort of shifted gears here, was apathy. And this is how he describes apathy. Apathy is, pers- excuse me, apathy is pervasive boredom or bitterness resulting from recurrent frustration. It is the withdrawal from life, friendships, and community. Apathy is the opting out of the flow of life in order to hug our wounds, real or imaginary. I thought about that opting out of the flow of life. How often do I opt out of the flow of life and look for things to distract me, look for things to entertain me, look for things to keep me amused and keep me occupied rather than wrestling with what's going on inside of me and wrestling with what does it mean to live abundantly out of Jesus. So I guess when you think of what this abundant life looks like then ultimately as a friend's meeting, as you have traveled, um, what does it mean for us to live as friends of Jesus, living out of the abundant life? Um, I think that, uh, that it happens um, during the week. Um, as, as people living in a relationship with Christ are open to the present leading, um, how does God work through you in your daily lives? Now, I'm not saying that I do this very well as a person. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes I'm working on grading papers uh, as a teacher. But even, okay, the way that I grade papers, um, am I doing so truthfully? And I, am I doing so generously and putting the work into it? So, so I think that living the abundant life uh, isn't a matter of, you know, getting the work life over with so you can be a Christian. No, you are a Christian in the workplace and in community, and in family. And so sometimes the way that speaks to me in the home is, well, I need to do the dishes more, or I need to be thoughtful. I need to do better at you know taking care of some of the household items. Or with neighbors or people that you see, um, see seeing every contact with a person uh, as an opportunity to, to be God's loving presence. And so rather than prescribing what that ought to look like, well, how do you feel it should look like? Um, how is Christ living in you and through you to one another? And, and I think that's the most powerful testimony um, that, that we can live, just being the presence of Christ. And, and then that relates to problem solving, helping people out, um, you know, supporting people, supporting their concerns. And I think that's an aspect of sharing God's love in the world. One of the things that... Um that was part of this, uh, my message, and we'll start to maybe um, move into open worship in a few moments after this. Excuse me. But I thought about hungry and tired and bored and living a journey which breathes life into us and we can breathe life back. And as I've listened to Paul, uh, I've wrestled with what does it mean to be engaged in life? Is my life stuck? Does it feel like it's just in neutral? 
Am I engaged in such a way that I am breathing life back into where I exist and life is being, is being breathed back into me? And I came across, in full disclosure, this was actually a, a book on leadership. I came across this author who talked about the art of engagement. He says, this is how people feel engaged. And I found it strangely relative to what I experience when I'm trying to move it out of that hungry, tired, and bored place. He says, Here how people, here's how people are engaged with life. They want to be part of something big. So that's my first question. Does your life feel like it's part of something big? As I've heard Paul talk, and as we've talked over the last few days, there's nothing bigger than the kingdom of God. There's nothing bigger than living out that immense mission of bringing God's love to this world and seeing this world transformed. But am I, am, am I part of something big? And I'm going to offer this as a meeting. Are we offering you to be part of something big? In other words, are we engaging your gifts and your talents and your abilities and your skills and your sense of call? Because oftentimes, you know, we have our nominating committee uh, and we have people that we put on committees. If I did the math, and this is easy math for me. I don't like math, but this is easy math for me. If we fill all of our committees, that's just about 20 of you, 20 people in this meeting, which leaves about 80, 70 or 80 or 90 that are not on a committee. Does that mean you have nothing to do? I hope not. What I hope is that we are engaging you in something big that everyone feels like you have a calling and a place either here or out in the world. The second thing he says, people want to feel a sense of belonging. Part of a faith community committed to God's purposes and God's reign and God's rule. Then he says, people want to go on a meaningful journey. Now remember, he's not talking about church. He's just talking about the workplace. But he says, people want to go on a meaningful journey. And then the last thing he says, people want to know that their contributions make a significant impact or difference. Well, my heart and my concern is that we as a faith community, we as a friends meeting, feel like that we are part of something big and something huge and something relative and something transformative, both within our hearts and wherever we end up Monday through Saturday, individually or together, that we feel engaged so that maybe we're not saying at some point in our spiritual journey, I'm hungry, I'm really tired, and I'm bored. To me, as a pastoral minister, if that's where you are this morning in this pew, then I would say as a meeting, we have not done well with you. We want you to not be hungry except for the righteousness of God. We want you to not be tired. We want you... To, to find strength and encouragement in Christ. We don't want you to be bored. We want you to feel a sense of mission and purpose in life. Final word? I was praying about what to do with my life back in 1985, I think it was. I served at Reedwood Friends Church, um, and then I was serving at Clackamas Park Friends Church in Oregon. And I had applied to University of Glasgow, was going to go and do doctoral studies. But, you know, it's an expensive venture to, to go off to Scotland and do a Ph.D. And Dallas Willard was uh, doing, a, doing a workshop at Reedwood um, that weekend. It was in March. Beware the Ides of March, uh, March 15th or so. 
And so I'm, I'm, I'm at this little workshop, and Dallas says something that, that sticks to my heart to this day. He said, when our first concern is furthering the kingdom of God, we will never be without divine guidance as to how that is to happen most effectively. And all of a sudden, my questions changed from how can I afford this? Should I do this? Is that the right place to do a doctorate? Why New Testament? You know, um, and, and that night, I had a vision, or, or I, I was awakened at 3 a.m. with a flood of ideas. And that was, um, those ideas were like, well, wh- well, what if you commuted to Scotland for your first year and just were over there for two years instead of three? Because things were going really well at Clackamas Park. Okay, they say, well, we don't want you to leave. You've just been here for a few months. Um, and, and so another idea is, is that I, I could begin things and, and uh, continue pastoring for another year. And um, uh, the head of the elders talked to me then later that morning at church and said, well, Paul, we just can't really let this go until we ask you one more time. Could you stay for another year? I said, well, Jack, what do you think about this? You know, what if I commuted to Scotland for a couple of trips? And, you know, brought in some of the people to preach and stuff. And, and what if I did some teaching on the Gospel of John and that kind of thing? So, oh, I don't see any problem with that. Let me take it to the elders. And then uh, I called uh, the person who became my advisor and said, well, what would, what would it be like to take the first year as an absentee instead of the third year? And he said, well, it's never been done before, but if the American is willing to pay his dues. Uh, and so uh, things worked out. Anyway, um, th- things worked out. And by delaying an extra year when I actually went over there, um, they had one doctoral scholarship for three years, and the first year had been used by somebody um, who went back into the priesthood. And so John Barkley then came up to me and said, uh, Hey, Paul, we have two years of a fellowship left. Would you object to us putting your name forward as a possible recipient? And I, I said, I would not object. I'd be very happy. Um, that came back positive, and when it came back... It covered the rest of tuition, and it covered within one pound our monthly rent in the furnished apartment that came to us from having gone over there a year ahead of time. So those are the kinds of things that you, you just cannot see. But the issue is not what's advantageous. The issue is how can one further God's kingdom? And that became my prayer. How can this venture further God's kingdom? So in relation to this church, this meeting, Um, how can this meeting further the kingdom of God? Or how can you, in your connection to this church, help the kingdom of God be furthered by the good work here in this fellowship? And as that becomes your prior question, um, God will answer it in ways beyond what we can imagine. And that might be close to abundant living.